Well, good morning. Uh, we're turning again to the book of Romans for the third uh, of our studies in, in chapter 1. And we're going to be reading some verses from verse 18. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. May God's word touch our hearts. I would reckon that there might be uh, some degree of, of discomfort and uneasiness when we see what the subject of this morning's talk is even although that's a subject that is taken straight out of the passage and we're thinking about God's wrath, uh, the wrath of God. Uh, You're imagining, aren't you, having that kind of conversation with friends or with work colleagues um, and and the kind of response that they might have as you you raise this subject with them. the very real likelihood that they'll look upon you as some sort of wild-eyed fanatic, some sort of caricature like the old days when people would walk up and down with these sandwich boards saying, you know, free, flee from the wrath to come. Uh, but it's, it's here. You know, we, we've read that. And, and so therefore we have, to, we have to consider it this morning, the subject of, of God's wrath. And we have to do that, first of all, um, in terms of the main concept that we've already introduced, the main key word in the book of Romans that really defines everything about the gospel of God, and and that is the word righteousness. You know, we, we pointed that out over the last couple of weeks. Verse 17, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So we, we, have to, we have to understand it in those terms. It has to do with righteousness or, or being just. And of course the word justice is extended uh, from that. 
And, and that's something that we are familiar with. So let's, let's just begin there with building up a few illustrations of that. I mean, justice, the rule of law. I mean, there, there would be something wrong if there wasn't justice upheld in society. If, if criminals and abusers and violent people were just allowed to go on without any kind of accountability uh, at all. And, and of course that word has been used in a variety of different ways now that we become increasingly familiar with. We, we know about racial justice, that people have behaved in a particular way as far as that is concerned that cannot just be allowed to go. We even hear talk about climate justice, how multinationals and countries must be held to account because there is something that is right about how we deal with the climate. And this concept, of course, is now extended, as we've read, in a spiritual dimension. And so there is such a thing as spiritual justice. As far as God is concerned, spiritual justice is a real thing, and we need to increasingly face up to that. And and the whole idea of God's wrath is his response to injustice in spiritual terms. And of course, we see examples of that from history in the scriptures. And, And there are numerous examples of that. The fall of man, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, And what happened after that, the results, the consequences of that, is, in a sense, an example of God's justice, his wrath against unrighteousness. Noah, we mentioned Noah last week, and the the flood, and the description of society and the world at that stage, the pervasive wickedness and corruption and violence that took place, covering the face of the earth and God responded to that in the flood and also the idea of God's wrath is something that is true as far as the future is concerned at the coming of Christ when the end of the world is brought to a close and all men are held held accountable for instance if you just turn over your page to chapter 2 which of course we'll be looking at in a few weeks time And we'll read some verses from verse 5 as far as God's wrath in the future. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God does not show partiality. But the thing about our reading, if I, if we can come back to where we, we read, the thing that is, that is a different angle on this subject is the tense that is used. It's not the past tense. It's not the future tense. It is a present tense. 
And it says, the wrath of God is revealed. It is being revealed from heaven against all godliness. And I'm going to come to that in a minute or two. Uh, I've got another couple of things uh, uh, to, to say first. But we might well ask, you know, why, why doesn't God do something about evil and wickedness? Why doesn't he respond to that? Well, this, this in part is answering that. That there is something currently happening. That God's wrath in a present tense sense is being revealed against wickedness. The idea, of course, of God's wrath is that his standards are always the same. You know, they don't fluctuate. It's not as if his view on something is altered by circumstances or by some sort of external pressure. Sometimes we find that happens in society, doesn't it? That a view might change. You know, people's stance might alter. But God's view of, of wickedness and evil will always be the same. It's fixed. And that is part of the idea uh, of God's wrath. But what I'd like us to speak about, first of all, is, that, uh, is to ask the question, is why is it that God's wrath is being revealed? What are the reasons for God's wrath being revealed as described in our, in our passage here? And it's, it's almost, I mean, I guess there was, there, was, there was two kind of examples that came to my mind, almost illustrations of this. You know, it's a diagnosis that's being made. It's almost like a kind of psychoanalysis of humanity that is taking place here. You know, and questions are being asked and a light is being shone right into the soul. Uh, a critique is being made and, and, and what is brought to the surface of this analysis are all the underlying reasons why God's justice is currently being revealed against humanity. The second kind of illustration, which probably fits a little bit more with the way that Romans presents it, is of a, is of a court scene. You know, when somebody is in the dock and, and they're trying to justify themselves, they're trying to defend themselves against the accusation that, that's brought, brought to them. And yet what is, what is brought in is piece upon piece of evidence all the forensic stuff, all the arguments, all the photos, all the eyewitness accounts. And this body of evidence is just being built up until it's absolutely overwhelming. And these are the reasons. And that's what we come to here. So the first reason for the wrath of God being revealed is in verse number 18. And what it says there is this. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It's the suppression of the truth. Specifically, the suppression of the truth about God. Now, this is true in both a general and a specific way. You know, if you think about uh, Western Europe, for instance, historically, you think about our own country, over the centuries, what has taken place has been a systematic suppression, deliberate holding back and holding down of the truth of the Bible and of the truth about God. 
And that has been done by the introduction of alternative ideas and a whole raft of things. But specifically, that can happen in our own lives personally. The truth about God and his word is revealed to us, is taught to us, and for any number of, of reasons, we can choose to suppress that. We can make a choice to just bury that, to, to hold it down, to put it away, and that is something that is a choice. Now, we know that in general, this kind of thing happens in society. We've heard stories, we've listened to news things about, for instance, big pharmaceutical companies who, who know that their, their drug has got a significant side effect and, and that, that is all suppressed, you know, and, 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 and eventually some kind of investigator brings that to light and uh, they're held to account for the suppression of what they knew was an issue and they knew was a problem, and, and they held it uh, down. What is being suppressed here, however, are things that it says in verse 19 are abundantly plain about God. To look at the design of our world, God has made it plain. God has shown it to us. His invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature since the creation of the world have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made so that we are without excuse. And so we look around us, and this is not rocket science. You know, we, we, we look at the, at the beauty of just one flower, and we see the intricate nature of that. We look up to the sky, and we see the courses of the, of the planets, and the stars. We, we, we watch the tides. We look at the migrationary patterns of the, birth, of the birds. We look at the human body with all its intricacy as well. Whether that just be at the macro level or right down to cellular or, 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 or gene mapping. The whole thing shouts out about design. It's been designed. Things don't just happen without a designer. Now, we know that's been suppressed. We know that alternative messages have been presented that would, would lead us down another road. And it all sounds so attractive. And it all sounds so plausible. The point that's being made here is this. That verse number 22, uh, 22 the people who purport these things, claiming to be wise, become fools. Now, when the Bible uses the word folly, it's not primarily an intellectual thing it's talking about. Really the point is that there's a moral dimension to that. Folly, particularly the book of Proverbs, which talks about this, brings, you know, the cry for wisdom. And if, if wisdom is ignored, then folly is the inevitable thing for, from that. And that folly has a moral dimension to it. The difficulty here is this, that these things we know are true. And what brings it uh, particularly uh, to our mind here is this, that they did not honor God as God. They diminished him 
and coming up with these alternative explanations and then their suppression of that truth of God, they do that because of the implications, what that means of having to face up to the reality of God. God has made it plain, whatever the alternative explanation is, and therefore we are without excuse. So that suppression is the first reason. The second reason is this. Again, it's about a choice. And the choice in verses 21 and 23 is this. Not to honor God for who he is or give thanks to him, but rather to exchange God's glory and to exchange that for a lie. And so in particular, it's idolatry that is being spoken of here. God's glory in all its transcendence, his power, his divine nature, the fact that he is so much greater than us, the, the, the marvelous creator and designer, that is diminished, is diluted. And what happened in history was that people made for themselves idols. And they exchanged the truth of God. And the whole point about an idol was an idol represented an idea. It represented a philosophy. And so, for instance, you get Baal in the Old Testament. And Baal was all about fertility and the giving of life. And and that was something that was so important to the people. And they began to worship that idea. And they personified that idea in an idol. And that idol is much less than the transcendence of the greatness of God. And of course, that concept, that idea we see even in our day and age, the worshipping of a particular idea of philosophy, which seems to be so important, and we, and, it gives to, and, and, and we allow it to assume the primary place uh, in our thinking. And an exchange is consciously and deliberately made. They exchanged the glory of God. For that, and that takes them to moral folly. Now that now brings us to the result. That, that's the reason we're now coming to the result of, of, of all of this, and that is what I said earlier: the present outworking of, of God's wrath. Now, this is described, and it's repeated actually three times in the passage. We haven't read the whole passage today. But uh, you can see it uh, in verse number 24. Therefore, God gave them up. It's repeated in verses 26 and verses 28. So what does that mean when it says, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity? But what it means is this, that because people made choices as they did, suppressing the truth, exchanging the glory of God, God God takes his restraining hand off of our lives. The hand of God that would restrain and put a brake on our foolish attitudes and on our wayward behavior And on the choices that we make, when we deliberately suppress the truth, then what God does is he allows us just to go on the way that we want to go. He gives us the desires of our heart. He allows us 
to indulge ourselves in whatever we want to do. And that loving hand of correction and protection is taken away. And he says to us, well, if that's what you want, you will get that. But what you will also get are all the consequences and all the results and all the repercussions and all the implications of that way of life. And I will give you over to that. And that will now have domination over you. And that's why later on in the book of Romans, he makes such a big play about the fact that we are slaves to sin. And he gives us over to what we want and the craving of our heart. And that's why, in, in particular, there is a link here with idolatry. And idolatry, historically, was always linked in with sexual immorality. And, and that's what he's saying here. That God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And this is the outworking of God's wrath, his justice, his response to his spiritual justice in the lives of people today. Now, we can understand that concept. You know, in, in, in the field of mental health, you know, we understand that if you suppress certain things, if you, supp if you suppress grief, if you suppress guilt, you know, that, that can have an effect on your life. On, the, on, your, on your thinking. You know, that's, that's understood in the popular culture. In the same way, if we suppress the spiritual truth about God, this has an effect upon us. And, and what it talks about here is that there, the, the, what develops in verse 21 is a futility in our thinking, an emptiness, a meaninglessness, and our foolish hearts become darkened. And in fact, if we were to have read the whole of this um, passage here and, 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 and seen how this phrase, God gave them over, is repeated three times, what is described actually is a descending spiral that just keeps on going down. And that is the way that God intervenes in the hearts of those who suppress the truth and exchange the truth. For a lie. This is the way in which God's wrath is currently being uh, worked out in our hearts. But the reason he, he, he takes time to spell all of this out is to bring us to the point of the awareness of our predicament, of our unrighteousness and guilt before God. And, and he, he does that not just to keep us hanging there, not just to you know, make us feel overwhelmed with a sense of the seriousness of this. But he, he's, he's painting this picture and he's, and he's exposing all of this and he's conducting this critique so that we then are coming to the point of understanding something of the power of the gospel. That's the whole point of it. You know, he's just said, here's the power of the gospel that I'm not ashamed of. The power of God unto salvation that can make a person righteous before God even although this is the situation. And, and he again explains that in terms of righteousness. And so, for instance, if you were to turn over to chapter 3, technical word in verse number 25, he says that Christ has been presented 
as a propitiation for our sins. Now, all that that means is this. It, it, it carries with it this idea of wrath. It's talking about the death of Christ. This is talking about Calvary here. And Christ is presented to the world at Calvary as the propitiation of our sins. Now, that means this. He is the sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God. He is the sacrifice that the wrath of God is satisfied on. And so when Christ dies, he dies as the just one on behalf of the unjust ones so that he might bring us to God. And and this is the whole wonder of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that despite the darkness and the despondency of the kind of situation that we've read about here in Romans chapter 1, it's it's actually leading us to appreciate the glory and the power of the gospel of Christ in all its fullness. And that's why by the works of the law, by religion, no, no one can ever be justified before God. Who could ever deal with the enormity of this situation by our own ability? It, it cuts the feet away from that argument altogether. And it drives us to the only source of hope. And the only source of hope is for us again, when we've had all of this highlighted to us, is to turn to Christ and to his death and to the sufficiency of that that deals with the whole issue of the wrath of God because on Christ almighty judgment fell that should have sunk a world to hell and we'll look to Christ as the answer to how the wrath of God can be satisfied in his death upon the cross so is this an uncomfortable crazy subject that only wild eye religious fanatics talk about I hope I've shown to you that that is not the case at all. That this is something that is essential to our understanding of our spiritual predicament and to the wonder of the gospel. And and maybe it's a message for for us today. Maybe, Maybe there are some of us here who have been suppressing the truth of God for others and also in our own lives. Maybe there are some of us here And we've exchanged the truth of God. We've made that decision. And we've exchanged it for a lie. Now God's God's desire is not to give you up to the consequences of your thinking and your behavior. But it's to bring us all to the point of faith in Christ as our Savior. Maybe the message for us to take away today as we think about God's wrath is this. That here is Christ and he's being presented to us this morning. We look to the cross as the one who turns away the wrath of God through his blood as an atonement that needs to be received by us through faith. So may God open our our minds to, to this key concept this morning the current, ongoing, present time outworking of God's wrath in our society and in the hearts and minds of people all round about us. Now shall we pray. Lord, thank you for this insight from your word, waking us up to the truth of scripture again. Apply your word to our hearts, particularly 
and the power and glory and greatness of the gospel of Christ. Help us all to trust wholeheartedly uh, in our Lord Jesus and take this message of the gospel that, Lord, help that we increasingly we trust, believe in uh, to others who require it. And so we ask a blessing to rest upon all who hear your word now as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.